Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 32. Starting at uh, verse 17, Ephesians 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off the old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in tr true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. And then the second reader reading is from Genesis, Genesis 1. First chapter in the Bible. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. <clears throat> Starting at verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and of every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and of every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed 
and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I've given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So far the reading. Thank you, Brother Yarif. <clears throat> Congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. William Stagg has written a picture book for children called Yellow and Pink. It's about two wooden figures who wake up to find themselves lying on an old newspaper in the hot sun. One figure is painted yellow and the other pink. Suddenly, yellow sits up and asks, Do you know what we are doing here? No, replies pink. I don't even remember getting here. Then these two figures begin to debate where they came from. Pink looks over their wooden shapes and says, Someone must have made us. Yellow disagrees. Now, I say it's an accident. A branch has fallen off a tree and broken into two, splitting us, you and me. The wind may have sent us tumbling down the hill and as it rolled, it chipped and shaped. Perhaps it was struck by lightning to splinter the wood into shapes of arms and fingers. Eyes may have been formed by woodpeckers boring into the wood. With enough time, a thousand, a million, maybe two million years, a lot of unusual things could happen. Why not us? And so they argued back and forth. In the end, their discussion was cut short by a man who comes out of a house nearby and he walks over to the two figures lying on the newspaper in the sun and picks them up to check their paint. Mmm, nice and dry, he says. And he tucks them under his arm and wanders back into the house. Yellow peeks out from underneath the man's arm and whispers in Pink's ear, Who is this guy? Some of you may have recognised that little story. It was quoted by Charles Colson in his book, How Now Shall We Live? And the question that Yellow asks is a good question. It is related to other questions that we might ask about ourselves, such as, who made me? Where am I? Why am I here? Where did I come from? And where am I going? These are all vital questions. Each person needs to answer them if they are to live in a world with meaning, purpose, and hope. Genesis 1 answers many of these questions. It tells us that this guy, and we say this with reverence, this guy is God, the creator. He made us. And he did so for a purpose, for a reason. 
He gave us a task to perform, a job to do. And so today we come to look at the creation of mankind. And first of all, we will see that God made us in his image. Having completed the creation of the world, we read in verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. We notice from this that we are getting to a very important event. The Lord God now comes to the climax of his creation. And so there is consultation among the persons of the Trinity. Let us, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, confer together about the creation of man. The importance of this is emphasized by the repetition of it in verse 27. When it says that we were made in God's image, we should not think that this is something physical. Boys and girls, if you think that when you look in the mirror in the bathroom, God looks something like that, and that's all wrong, because God is a spirit. So he has no physical body or form. When Moses wanted to see God's glory, the Lord allowed him to catch a glimpse of his splendor. But Moses did not see any physical form or shape. We read that in Exodus chapter 33. We were made in the image of God in a moral sense. When God came to the end of all his creative work at the end of the sixth day, he saw that all that he had made and it was very good. Genesis 1.31 In other words, it was perfect. There were no manufacturing defects. There were no faults. Everything was as he wanted it to be. There were no flaws. And that included the creation of Adam and Eve. The Apostle Paul explains this in his letters to the Colossians and the Ephesians, where he wrote that we were made in true righteousness, holiness, and knowledge. When God first made us, we were righteous and holy, and we had a true knowledge of God. We were without sin. Of course, we lost all this after Adam and Eve fell into sin. As we'll see if we come to look at chapter 3 of Genesis. But in the beginning, we were morally perfect, in God's image, just like him. The image of God also refers to how God made us as human beings. God is a spirit, and he made us as spiritual beings. He gave us a spirit, a soul. He made us so that we could relate to him, know him, live with him, talk to him, honour and praise him. In the modern period, many people in the Western world denied that we were spiritual beings and they put all the emphasis on the physical and on the mind. But in this postmodern period, more people are recognising that we are spiritual 
Spirituality is actually a growth industry. An article on religion in a recent Canvas magazine claims, it's doubtful whether religion and spirituality have ever been more visible or varied. Yes, God made us spiritual beings. But the Bible says that he made us to know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. John 17, verse 3. God also made us relational. He made us male and female so that we could relate to each other and to others in society. We were created for community. God made us so that we could relate to him on a vertical relationship, but also to others around us on a horizontal relationship. God made us social beings, designed us for companionship and friendship. We need other people. He also made us rational. That is, he gave us a mind so that we could think and reason and plan and design and create. And he made us volitional. That is, he gave us a will so that we can make decisions between one action and another. We have the capacity to make choices. We resemble God because he is a spirit and he has a mind and he has a will and he lives in relation to others, especially to the three persons of the Trinity. We are made in his image. And this has some important implications. It means that we are not the end product of, a of an evolutionary process. We did not crawl out of the slime billions of years ago. We are not the end product of chance mutations. No, God made Adam as a full-grown living being in a deliberate creative act. We were created by God and we are like him. Because we are all made in God's image, we must treat others other human beings as God's image bearers and that isn't easy to do especially when you can't see much goodness or holiness in a person or when they act more like animals than human beings but everyone in this world bears God's image whether they are beautiful or ugly intelligent or simple good or bad and we must treat them as God's image bearers. James makes this very practical when he observes that with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. My brothers, this should not be. James 3 verse 9. Being made in God's image also means that we will only understand ourselves properly when we know God. One of the most important books to be written during the Reformation was 
uh, The Institutes of Christian Religion by John Calvin. He began the book by saying that true wisdom consists of a knowledge of God and ourselves and that we will never understand ourselves without a true knowledge of God. Well, that is a strong incentive to read and study the scriptures and so to seek to know God better and as a result to understand ourselves more. Well, not only has God made us in his image, he has also given us a task. And this task has two parts. In verse 28, it says, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. God made this world for us. On the first five days of creation, he set up a place for us to live in. He gave us dry land to live on, mountains to climb, lakes to swim in, an atmosphere that we can breathe, and gravity to keep our feet on the ground, plants to eat, senses to be able to appreciate and take in all of this beauty that is around us. Some of the environmentalists almost give you the idea that people are aliens on this planet, as though the world would be better off without us. But that is a complete misunderstanding of God's work and plan. God made this world to be inhabited. He designed it as a place for us. He wants us to live in it. This is why he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. A lot of people think that we have achieved this. There are 7.6 billion people on earth, and that is quite enough, they say. And they warn that if we carry on as we are, the world will be overpopulated. However, in more recent times, there has been concern expressed about the declining populations in the Western world. In the developed world, each woman needs to have 2.2 children to replace the present population. But many countries in Western Europe and in China are well below the replacement rate. And in years to come, their populations will be old and declining. And this will create enormous problems for these countries. The fear of overpopulation is misplaced. We don't have to worry about the lack of space because there is vast amounts of the world that are unused, land that could be populated. Nor is the problem a lack of food because we can easily produce enough food to feed the current world population and then some. For instance, each year the whole population of Rwanda could be fed on the amount of food that's wasted in Canada alone. There are about 3,000 edible vegetables, grains and other plants that grow on earth. But we only use about 300 vegetables, about 10% of what is available. And in the United States, Britain and Europe, the government pays farmers not to grow certain crops. And in Canada and other places, milk and egg producers are restricted by quotas so that they don't flood the market. Well, the problem is not a lack of food, 
but an unequal distribution of food. And that is usually the result of human sin, evidenced in laziness, greed, corruption, and sometimes war. God has blessed us with the ability to reproduce and he has commanded us to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And this is an ongoing command that still applies for us today. The other ta task that God gave us to do was to subdue the earth and rule over it. At present, we see the world being polluted and spoiled. The earth's resources are misused and mismanaged. Trees and plants are exploited. Food is wasted. And all of this is the result of sin and greed and envy. But God's will is that we look after this world, care for it, develop it, draw out of it its, the potential that's there and harness the resources that he has created into the world. God wants us to drill for oil and to mine for gold and precious stones, to dig up coal, to use the rivers, the trees for building, the sea for salt. This is why that he has, in his wisdom, created the world's resources so close to the surface of the earth. He wants us to write books, compose music, paint beautiful pictures. He wants us to use our minds and our abilities to build bridges, construct roads, develop smarter computers. He wants us to explore the universe, to draw maps and to study the marvels of the world and his creation. And he gave us the ability to do all this. He also placed us as rulers over the fish and birds and living things. He put us in charge of them. Adam began that task of ruling over the animals when he named them all. And we have continued that task ever since. And so we, we have dogs and cats in our homes, tropical fish in aquariums, birds in aviaries, and perhaps lambs in the back paddock. We also use animals for, to do all sorts of tasks for us in society and in farming. We gather animals in zoos and animal parks so that we can look and admire them. We spend time studying them and classifying all the thousands of species of birds and fish and animals and insects. David celebrated this great task in Psalm 8. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. Yes, God also gave us all the plants and the trees for food so we can live and work. We have all that we need to function effectively. God wants us to do all this as his agents here on earth. He has appointed us as caretakers of his creation. We are his representatives on earth. We do it on his behalf. We are exercising his dominion on earth. 
We are extending his kingly rule. We are God's partners, his co-workers. He has made us the administrators of this world. But that also means that we are accountable to him. We are to obey all his commands and we are to give him the praise and the glory. We are to do that because he gave us these gifts and all of these resources. All of it came from him. God has given a very broad mandate. Sometimes it's called the cultural mandate or the, a kingdom mandate. And every one of us has a part to play in this great task. Each one of us has a job to do, a role to play, a responsibility to fulfill. Young people, soon you'll be looking for a job, a vocation, a calling that will enable you to play a useful part in God's word, world. Examine your own abilities and gifts and look for a suitable avenue to use those talents that he has given you. Every one of us is part of this large work in God's world and in his kingdom. We are all in full-time service for the Lord. And we can serve like this because of the Lord Jesus Christ. We already heard earlier that God's original creation was marred and broken by the fall into sin. But what was lost in the first Adam is restored in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus. He is the head of a new humanity. If anyone is in Jesus Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. That has already happened in principle, but it is also in progress. We are already new, but we are not yet perfect. So God is at work in us through his spirit so that we are being renewed to be like God in righteousness, holiness and a true knowledge of our creator. In us, in and through Jesus Christ, the image of God is being restored in us and through him we can go about this great task of looking after this wonderful world that he has made. Amen.